Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. As they're turning there, what do we know about marriage? Marriage is, or at least it should be, the most important relationship between two human beings that they can experience. And it's only second in our relationship with God. Marriage, it can bring out the best and it can bring out the worst in some people as two separate individuals as they struggle to try to live life as one flesh. And when trouble comes, as it surely will, at the root of the problem typically is this thing called selfishness. It's when one or both partners, they choose to live as though his needs or her needs, as if they are the top consideration in the family, and therefore conflict will result. Let's read our scripture for today to see what it tells us about this thing, about this relationship called marriage. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. To help us understand the context of Christian marriage, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you and your children, if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. Lord, I pray that you will use this text and all the other scripture that we're looking at to help us understand what it means to be a Christian husband and wife, a couple that lives together. Yes, we may have disagreements, but we have unity in what we are doing. We thank you for all you're doing in our hearts and in our lives and through your people here in this church. We love you and we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. I think really we could all agree, right, that every family, every single family has disagreements. The couple that never has a conflict, that couple doesn't exist. And unfortunately, conflict, it can lead to what we would call bad fights. Now, what's considered a bad fight? It's one that it seriously alienates the husband and the wife, but it never resolves the cause of the problem. 
What we see as a result of this is couples, they build up bitterness, they build up quarreling, uncontrolled anger and hatred, leaving us concerned with not only the struggles, the strife, and the alienation, but also and especially with this thing called serious conflicts. Conflicts that destroy the relationship between that husband and wife and may lead to separation or even worse, divorce. Let's break down what God's Word says. Let's see how it can help us avoid and resolve the life's challenges that can come upon us as a couple before God. The first one is this. To achieve victory over your marriage challenges, you must, number one, have faith. Many couples, they have bickered and they have quarreled for so long that they have lost hope that things would ever change. They resign themselves to go on. They keep quarreling. They keep hating each other. They do that for the rest of their lives. And they typically end their marriage with divorce. Friends, married couples, let me tell you, you need to believe that by God's power, you can resolve your marriage problems. But it requires both parties to work together. You must have faith. The faith that we see in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If we trust in ourselves, we may fail. We must believe that Jesus, that he will provide the strength that we need to please God. Understand, all serious marriage conflict, that's not God's will for us. He doesn't want that in our marriages. He doesn't want that in our lives. God, he created marriage for the good of both the husband and the wife. He never intended for a marriage to be a source of hatred, to be that place where bitter grudges are held forever. Friends, as harsh as this may sound, hatred, bitter quarreling, and alienation in the home means that someone is disobeying God. Meaning that either the problem began because someone disobeyed God, or the original problem led someone to commit other acts of sinful acts against God. In either case, serious marriage problems almost always involve sin. Now, if that's true, and it is true, then we can overcome this problem by the same methods that the Bible describes for overcoming the other sins that we have in our life. Because recognizing that sin, that it is the root of our problem, it gives us hope because Christians know that God, He has a solution for sin, for all of sin, and that includes the problems we have in our marriages. However, we need to understand too that the marriage, that it involves two different people and a problem between two people, it can only be completely resolved if both parties, if they are both willing to work it out. If only one person obeys God, the other person will most likely keep the problem alive and going. However, if your partner won't work with you to improve your marriage, understand this doesn't dissolve or remove your responsibility to do what you can do to save the marriage. To please God, understand you must follow his will regardless of what your partner does. You must believe that God, yes, God can be pleased regardless of how the other person acts in your marriage. Hear these words. It's from 1 John 5, 4. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith here is the key. If we're born of God, we overcome the world through our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. This includes overcoming improper family relationships, but we must believe that it can be done by the power of God. If both parties, if they commit themselves, they can eliminate sin from their marriage. And listen, regardless of whether or not your partner obeys God, you can still please God through what you do if you follow the steps that God talks about in His Word that we're about to cover. 
Under number two, as a couple, understand you should first and foremost pray for God's strength. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 here. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Christians should do this. We should be doing this for all of the problems that we have in our life, but especially for our marriage challenges. If we have a proper faith in God's power, then we will pray diligently about any problems we have in our marriages. Remember this, church, in 1 John 5, 14, look what it says. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When we have marriage problems, especially when we have serious ones, we need to believe that God, that he will answer our prayers about that. If both you and your spouse, if you're faithful Christians, then you should spend much time together and individually praying for God's help with your situation. Remember though, God, he will answer you according to his will. So make sure you're praying properly. If your spouse is not a Christian, if your spouse is not faithful to you, then God won't force them to do what's right. However, understand this, he may give them an opportunity to learn his will for their lives by sending challenges his way. Let me ask this question to close out this point here. When your family, when they face a serious problem in your marriage, how do you pray together to God? And how much do you trust God to answer those prayers when you pray for them? Under number three, for God to save your marriage as a couple, you must act in love. Husbands, you're called to love your wife. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Then we're going to jump down to verse 28. It says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And wives, understand, you too, you are called to love your husbands. Look at Titus 2.4. It says, Train the young women to love their husbands. Okay, now here can be a point of confusion. What is love? What is considered love in the Christian realm? Love is basically this. The basic form is love is a concern for the well-being of others. It's a concern for the well-being of your spouse, of your children, over your own. Jesus' love for the church, it illustrates the love husbands should have for their wives. And he loves us so much that he did what? He gave his life for us so that we could be saved. So the husband should be concerned for the well-being of his wife and of his children. He should nourish her and cherish her all the days of his life. He mustn't use his authority just to please himself within that marriage context, but he should do what is best for her and the kids. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, look what it says there. It says, love isn't foolish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Then down in Romans 13, 10, it says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Look, friends, as long as one or both of the companions selfishly insist on their own way, differences will not be resolved. Serious problems can be solved only when we're willing to work together as a couple to seek the welfare of the other person over our own. Because love, understand, love is a choice. It's a choice of our will in our life. We choose whether or not we are going to love, just like we choose whether or not we're going to obey the other commands that God gives us in his scriptures. There's some that think, well, love, it just happens. It just comes along. It can't be controlled. You can't control when you fall in love. 
Just think of the way most people think love happens. You hear them say, what? oh, I fell in love, or I fall in love, right? That's how they think about love. You're falling in love. Or you fall out of love with somebody. Well, I used to love them, but I don't love them anymore. They think if a couple, if you just don't love anybody, you just don't love them anymore. It's just they're just not right for you. Nothing can be done except get a divorce. But you see, when we realize that we can choose to love, then we realize that we can put love into our marriage and keep it going. But if we fail to put that love in, you know what we're doing? We sin. That is sin in our lives if we're not putting love into the marriage that we made before God. Furthermore, just as Christ initiated love toward the church when we were sinners, not actingly lovingly toward him, so too it is our responsibility, men, as the husband, to initiate love in our marriage with our spouses. The command to love, it is first emphasized in Scripture to who? To the man. He's to love the wife first. He's to put love into the relationship, just as Christ, as he loved his church. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, starting verse 6. It says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, understand, Christ, he loves us while we were still sinners. He loved us while we were doing all those things against God's will. And no, it wasn't because we were such lovable people. I don't know anybody in here that would be so lovable that God would say, I'd love you regardless of whether you agreed with me or not. But he loved us because he couldn't help it. Jesus just couldn't help loving us because that's who he is. He chose to do what needed to be done. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus said this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Can that verse be said of you? Can it? Do you love your enemies and pray for your abusers? I do. Because I understand there's nothing else I can do in those relationships but pray for them. And I also know that because we're commanded to love our enemies, just as it said right there in the scriptures. And loving one's enemies, sometimes that's about what it would take to put love into some of the marriages that we see in the world today. But we love enemies. We love them not because we uncontrollably fall in love with them, but it's because we do what? We choose to do what's best for them. The statement, I don't love her or him anymore, you need to understand that's a confession of sin. It must be repented of. It must be corrected as an act of the will. When serious disagreements, when they build up in our marriage, and when they go unresolved, one or both companions are not choosing to show love in that relationship. Remember, love is, or at least it should be expressed in what we say. This doesn't require an overwhelming romantic feeling to be coming up upon us, welling up inside of us that can't help but be expressed. We're discussing love by the choice of the will. That is what you can and what you should be stating to your spouse by the choice of your will. might be something like this. I want you to know that I still love you and I'm committed to this marriage and to your welfare. You must also know that love is or should be expressed by what we do in our marriage. Look at 1 John chapter 5. Verse 2, it says this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Understand, love for others requires us to first love God and to keep his commands. Keeping God's commandments is loving God. 
Then down in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Meaning here, friends, that we must not love just in the words that we say. We can't just say we love you and I love you or I do this, but we also must do it in deed and in truth. We must show that we love by the actions that we take. Friends, this is a vital principle that must be carried out in every home. We ought to say loving things, but that alone, understand that alone is not enough. We must act. Act in love. John 3.16, that's a famous verse. We all know it. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Ephesians 5.25 says, Jesus loved the church and what? He gave. 1 John 3.14 says, if you see your brother in need and don't give what is needed, you don't have love. Romans 12.20 says, loving your enemy requires giving. Bottom line is this, friends. A basic requirement in solving family disagreements is a willingness to give ourselves, give up of ourselves, give what we can for the good of the others, for the good of your spouse, for the good of your children. But what typically happens? What do we see in our marriages today? The husband and the wife, they refuse to change. Why do they refuse to change? Because he or she, they're upset at something the other person did. What should really happen there? If we'd view this situation, if we'd stand back and we'd honestly and objectively look at this situation, meaning that if we'd really view it through somebody else's eyes, let them see into our marriages and what's happening, we'd have to admit that there's some things that we probably should be doing differently in our marriages. But what happens most often? We refuse to change because of some habit or some characteristic in our spouse that we don't like. Don't go around saying things like this. Well, I'll tell you, I'll change if he will change. Or I'll change if she will change too. Look, if an act is good for others, friends, just simply do it. Do it regardless of what they are doing to you in your life. If you've been wrong, admit it. Admit it regardless of whether or not the other person, they've admitted their errors as well. And look, even if you're convinced that you aren't the root cause of the problem, you need to ask yourself honestly, what can I do to help improve this situation? A spouse, they will often criticize the other, saying it's his fault or it's her fault. So I'm just going to let them solve it. It's their problem. Let them deal with it. Friends, even if that's true, is it helpful? Instead, what you need to do is think this. You need to ask, what can I offer to do? How can I become involved in this situation? How can I help resolve this problem for both of our benefits? Instead of saying things like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? How about saying something like this? Why don't you and I, why don't we sit down and why don't we work through this together? As long as no one, neither spouse, will take that first step. As long as no one of them is willing to give up what they want, the strife in that relationship, it will continue on. But when one is willing to give in for the good of the marriage, for the good of the family, then a start has been made to resolving the problems. And when both, both the husband and the wife, when both of them are willing to give in for the good of the marriage and for the good of the family, then I promise you the solution, it will definitely be found for that problem. Next, under number four, as God, as he works in our marriages as a couple, you must maintain and express a commitment to the marriage. As a Christian, the first thing that you need to understand that is divorce or separation, they are not options. Marriage, it was designed by God to be a lifetime commitment. 
and clearly. The Bible, it requires both spouses to continually view marriage as a commitment. But how often is it, okay, sometimes someone will make a statement that shows a lack of commitment to the marriage. They say things like, oh, I wish I never would have married you. I wish you were dead. I should have divorced you years ago. If this doesn't stop, I'm going to go see a lawyer. I'm leaving, and I don't know if I'm coming back. I got to tell you, as a child of God, all of those and similar statements, they are sinful statements because they destroy the security and the commitment of the marriage. They don't express love, but they are used as weapons, weapons to hurt or weapons to threaten the spouse. Not only is it sinful to practice wrong, it's also sinful to desire to practice wrong or to threaten to do wrong to your spouse. Do as it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Friends, we all understand, out of the heart flows the issues of our life. We sin because we allow ourselves to think and to speak about our desire to sin. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. It says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Friends, the mouth, we all understand, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. We'll be justified, and we're going to be condemned by those words that we speak. Be one who deliberately expresses and promotes the commitment within their marriage. Be the one who continually says, Honey, I really do love you. I want to work out this problem. I want us to have a good, no, I want us to have a great marriage together. Friends, there's so much more we could cover. But remember this, love is patient. Far too often, we're easily upset when a matter, when it doesn't get quickly resolved. Understand, resolving some problems in our marriage, it may take time. We may just see gradual improvements over time to make it better. Don't give up. Don't expect your spouse or you that you will change overnight. Give it time. Don't make snap decisions. Don't think that you must reach a final decision the very first time you discuss a challenge that's going on. And most of all, don't allow your temper to make you lose your objectivity. And what's going to happen is you'll resort to hurting the other person. Let me just close with this. The goal here in all of this, it's not to endlessly talk about the situation, about what's going on, nor is it simply to vent the frustration that you may have with your spouse. But the issue here is to resolve a problem. That's what you're working toward. You should seek to determine a plan of action whereby the problem, it ceases to alienate you from your spouse. And here's the big thing. You need to be prepared to compromise and to overlook differences of viewpoint whenever possible. Look. Every couple can find something, some characteristic, some action, some attitude, whatever, something in their partner that, oh, I wish they would change this. I'd like them to change that. But understand, we cannot change our spouse. And sin must not be overlooked. But I'm going to tell you, if there is no sin involved in the situation and the other person just, though they're doing some things that we just don't like, then love won't push that person to our desires to that point where we alienate our spouse. Learn to overlook those matters without bitterness. Look, even some spiritual decisions, even decisions that we think are very scriptural, they're not spiritual decisions. They're personal opinions that we have, and they're not matters of sin. You need to be able to let them go. If you cannot prove that your spouse has committed a sin, then don't imply that they have. Don't imply that they're automatically guilty just because you think they are. 
seek a peaceable resolution to the problem. And as a Christian, we should want the conflict to end, even if we have to give up on our own desires to achieve that solution. In some matters, there may need to be some give and take. There may need to be some compromise on both sides. Then as James 5.12 tells us, it says this, Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Meaning like this, when we make commitments to one another, we must mean what we say. And then we must carry out on those commitments which we have stated. We must make the changes that we promise to make in our lives. We can't be saying, oh, I'll change when you change. We make the changes first in our own lives. So let me jump back to that opening question I had. Can God save my marriage? God's Word, the Bible, the Scriptures, they do provide us with teachings, with ideas, with examples for all good works. And friends, that includes how to solve our marriage problems, our problems we have in our homes i got to tell you, there is hope. There's hope for the troubled marriage. You can solve your problems, but you must solve them God's way. And to do this, to do it His way, is the right way. I'm going to tell you, if you don't do it His way, when problems persist in your marriage, understand there's no one that you can blame except for yourself. Let me encourage you today, friends. If you've got challenges going on, or when those challenges do come, because they will come into every marriage, let go. And let God, let Him be your strength. Let His Word be your guide with you and your spouse. Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. And have a blessed day.